Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Hello and welcome to another Wessex LMCs podcast. My name is Laura Edwards, I'm a GP and one of the medical directors at Wessex LMCs and I'm joined today by Mr Ian Simpson. Hello Ian. Hi Laura who is an, a consultant in obstetrics and gynaecology and is also lead colposcopist at Basingstoke Hospital. And I've invited Ian to have a chat with me today because uh, we've seen some stuff on social media in the past week and I was just a bit concerned about it. So uh, I thought I would ask Ian to come along so that I could pose the questions to him. So in essence, what I've seen is some um, conversations, some concerns about a change in the interval of uh, cervical cytology screening from three years to five years. Um, and with that, obviously, there's been quite a lot of concern, both, I think, from the public, but also from some doctors saying, we haven't heard about this. What's this about? Is this NHS cost cutting in disguise? Um, and, and should we be concerned uh, for patients and potentially for ourselves as well as women? So, so Ian, I, I'm going to pose you that question. What, what is happening and why? And should we be worried about it? Yeah, so um, as many of you are aware, so cervical screening, um, traditionally in the UK, uh, women between the age of 25 and 50, 49, are offered cervical screening every three years, um, and between 50 and 65 every five years. So we already have a group of women who are being screened every five years. Um, and there was quite a big shift in the way that cervical screening was undertaken. So for us locally in, in the Wessex region, that came into effect in 2019. Um, and that changed the way that smears are processed. And the, I guess the advantage of that is it means that smears are much more sensitive um, way of detecting abnormalities. So theoretically, you can pick up a potential abnormality earlier um, and send those women on a more sort of surveillance pathway. Um, so the proposal has been that screening should therefore move from being every three years to five years. Um, now, again, and I've seen a lot of the, the social media feeds um, about this, um, and a bit of me is quite happy actually to see some of that, because I think anything that gets, gets people talking about their cervical screening um, and encourages women to go for smears is, is only a positive thing. But it's about reassuring uh, people that is this a safe thing to do? And I think probably what's missed in a lot of those communications is the science behind it, because to all intents and purposes, uh, for women who are going for their smears, there's been no change in the process of having a smear. Um, many people in primary care, there will be no real change to the way the smears are reported. Um, so the, the changes that have happened haven't really um, uh, sort of filtered through in the right way. So historically, when a smear is taken, a cytology examination is performed first of all, so looking for the abnormal cells first of all. And if the cells are abnormal, then a referral is made to colposcopy. So anyone with a, an abnormality pretty much would have been referred to us. Um, HPV was introduced um, into screening some years ago, and it was used as a triaging method for ladies with low-grade change. So anyone with a low-grade cellular abnormality on their smear would have an HPV test performed. And if it was HPV positive, then they would come and see us. But if it was HPV negative, then they would just go back to the screening. So almost despite having an abnormality, because there was no HPV present, i.e. the body had cleared the virus, the anticipation there was that the changes would go away and you were safe to go back to normal. And that's been practiced for 
quite some years, and, and there's never been a concern about that. And then, as I say, in 2019, it's got a big shift um, for us locally. That's something that's happened nationally at slightly different time scales, um, but to move to now what is primary HPV screening. So a smear is now tested for the HPV virus first, and if the HPV is not found, that's the end of the smear. So there's no psychology performed. The rationale being is you can't have cellular abnormality unless you have got HPV, or certainly you can't have a persisting abnormality. Um, so if you're HPV negative, you go back to routine three-year screening, and if you're HPV positive, then they will perform cytology, and depending on the cytology, then what happens next? So if you're cytology positive, so you've got a change, you're referred into us in colposcopy. But if there's no change, you go back to a yearly smear. So that was quite a big change. So women who are HPV positive but cytology negative will get a follow-up smear the following year. And the anticipation being that in the vast majority of women, their immune system will clear the HPV virus and it will go away. However, if it doesn't and it persists, even if there's no cellular change, the smear gets repeated yearly. And after basically three cycles, even if you still don't have a cellular abnormality, you get referred to colposcopy. So what this enables you to do is pick up all these women with pre-cellular abnormalities who have persisting HPV, and then they are filtered into colposcopy. And that obviously means that there's more work coming our way. Um, that's the downside of that. But what it's doing is picking up change potentially at a pre-cellular, um, before it reaches a, 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 any sort of cellular abnormality. And the natural history of cervical cancer and pre-cancerous disease is it takes about five years plus from acquisition of HPV to cellular change, and then, met, and then essentially another three to five years for that change to progress through and get more severe and even potentially become cancer. So the proposal here is, is that, well, if you're picking up women that are HPV positive, they are going to be seen yearly, regardless. So those are the ones you need to monitor. But if you have a woman who comes screening who is HPV negative at day zero, even if she um, comes into contact with HPV the following day and then becomes HPV positive, it's going to take five years before you start to see the cellular abnormality. So what you're really doing is focusing your screening on those women with HPV for undetermined length of time prior to that smear, um, so they can be monitored more closely. And the women who don't have HPV, who don't need smears, can extend the length of time between their smears. Great, that is really helpful to go through, Ian. And I think, um, I think you've you kind of hit the nail on the head that I knew some of that stuff. I, I did, I did know that, but it's really helpful to hear actually kind of the length of time has actually extended that we're that we're aware of any disease process, which means that actually we have more safety and security around um, kind of picking people up, and we know we're picking them up as you said really, really early. Um, so that's great to, to know and to understand. Um, and I think that's that's really helpful context to understand the changes that are proposed. And and just to clarify, when are these changes coming in in England? I to be honest, I don't know when the proposal is. I mean, it has already been agreed through the screening committee that we should be adopting five-year screening. Um, I believe from the National Conference that it's already in place in Scotland um, and the proposal was from the 1st of January this year to come into effect in Wales. 
So I, this is a something that will come in um, in the relatively near future, um, but but I haven't actually seen any correspondence to the timescale for that. No, I, I haven't seen any dates, and I do wonder if some of this media has come from the announcement in Wales, which yeah. which came out at the beginning of January, and I I wonder if it's kind of spread spread across with some confusion because there isn't anything for England, but the Welsh agreement refers to the UK screening committee who made this recommendation back in 2019 and the UK obviously covers the four nations and I do wonder therefore if there's there's a bit of um, a kind of confusion around that and indeed I think public health Wales have acknowledged that perhaps they haven't given their kind of heads up around this and and some of the information which you've just so helpfully given us that actually is is really reassuring and the context of in the context of why they have reached this decision so okay so so as it stands no date in England but actually it's really helpful for us as professionals to be clear on where that decision is coming from and feeling uh, reassured about that and hopefully um, the English side of things will have learned from the Welsh lesson just happened and perhaps have some of these conversations with the public and and share some of this with the public um, ahead of whenever they do um, decide to bring it in uh, which may of course have been delayed by by the pandemic so that's really really helpful. There was just one other thing in relation to this that was a story line um, around uh, cervical cancer in Coronation Street that has sometimes been kind of mixed into this media as well and that was about a very young woman who got cervical cancer and and died from it which obviously people were attached to the character and found that really quite distressing Um, and I just wondered how these changes might they have affected this this character at all? So I, mean, I have to say I'm not a Coronation Street fan, so I, um, I don't know much about the background um, other than my sort of quick um, uh, Google search for the details. But um, I think potentially the issue in this lady is that she is an unscreened woman. Um, I think based on her age, she may well have been um, either at her first smear or, or pre-first smear, um, and she has symptoms. So... In reality, she falls under the bracket of an untrained lady with symptoms. Um, and I think the storyline is meant to be that to encourage women who've got symptoms uh, of unusual bleeding to go to their GP to, to be checked. And then if needed, if they're not screened, and so if there's concern, to be referred on to colposcopy. Um, and so in reality, no, the screening wouldn't have, have um, the screening changes wouldn't have made a difference to her. I think based on her age and um, this I believe isn't somebody that's got a normal cervical screening history that then develops an abnormality um, so no it, it wouldn't have changed the storyline uh, for her but but again actually um, it's it's great that, um, that that mainstream TV are putting this out there because I understand there was an increased risk uh, sorry an increased uptake in screening after this and what still remains the biggest, unfortunately, biggest problem for us in the UK um, with our cervical cancer rates is unscreened women. It's women not coming forward for their smear, sadly. Uh, and by far and away, the biggest proportion of women that we will make a diagnosis of cervical cancer in are women who've not been through screening rather than screening errors or, or um, women that have developed cervical cancer between their screens. 
that's and that's really helpful to think about again and quite sobering really but really helpful to talk through that case because again sometimes people will come in because they're triggered by that case and, and will be and will be concerned but I guess the key message there is symptomatic women that's different and especially if they're unscreened again that that distinction between unscreened women with symptoms and screened women with symptoms is is also um, a, a kind of di- point of distinction and I think you kindly did a, a podcast with us before which talked about um, the role of colposcopy and again trying to kind of risk stratify those women um, and when we can be reassured and when and when we can't as professionals but um, the message to the public is if you have symptoms come and talk to us uh, which I think that character didn't do in Coronation Street and they and they kind of made that clear that she ignored the symptoms um, and and didn't seek medical help again I haven't watched Coronation Street so you and I both apologize if we've got that storyline plot wrong um, but that was my understanding as well so thank you Ian I think that's that's really helpful and um, good reminder to us all to encourage our patients to attend for cervical screening nudge them um, I often take the opportunity if I see it pop up just to remind people People and say do book that appointment um, and they say oh yes I should um, and and if possible I kind of either put them through to reception to do it or, or really nudge them strongly because it is a life-saving appointment um, and, uh, and we shouldn't forget that. So thank you Ian for joining us and um, that's really helpful to go through and hopefully dispel some of the myths and concerns around that. Um, and uh, to those of you listening, do have a look at some of our um, other podcasts and our other upcoming educational events. We've got a fantastic one on dermoscopy coming up and uh, one on leadership, which you can find and book on our website. So thank you for joining us for another podcast from Wessex LMCs. And we look forward uh, to joining you again soon. Thank you. Bye bye. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.